Stay tuned for the Sean Casey Show, a podcast for patriots. Joining us now on the Sean Casey Show, a podcast for Patriots, is Sarah Maccabee, uh, a true American patriot, and uh, her husband, uh, Colt Maccabee, is currently one of the J6 prisoners. He is currently in jail, uh, facing his trial coming up this September. Uh, first and foremost, Sarah, uh, so sorry for what you and Colt, your husband, are going through. Um, and I know this is a difficult time, but I want to make sure that we get the word out to as many people as possible as what's happening to Colt. Uh, you and, and the other J6 prisoners that have now been held nearly 900 days, uh, in which I believe to be an un-American and an unconstitutional, uh, manner. So thanks for joining us here today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on and thanks um, for giving us a platform to speak on. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, but before we get to, to Colt's story, which is, uh, which is fascinating, um, I was reading yesterday about the uh, trial of uh, Brian Mock. Uh, another person charged in the uh, in the J six uh, protests, and a defense witness, uh, Tommy Tatum, uh, apparently said yesterday in the courtroom, according to those that were there, uh, "quote I witnessed the murder of Roseanne Boyland by Officer Lila Morris." Uh, end of quote. Uh, your husband Colt uh, was trying to uh, render aid and assistance as a sheriff's deputy. He was trained. Uh, in, um, in CPR and the like to, uh, Roseanne that day. Uh, and, uh, before we went on the air, you told me that you had a chance to speak with Tommy. I know you weren't in the courtroom yesterday, but, uh, would you care to comment on what, uh, Tommy was able to share with you or, uh, this, this, uh, this trial was recessed for a couple of weeks. Uh, apparently the judge didn't like what he had to say. For sure. I mean, that's one of the reasons my husband has wanted to take his case all the way to trial to get on the record the death of Roseanne Boylan. She, you know, was out of air when she was laying at the bottom of the pile and she probably at that point passed out. But instead of doing what first responders are trained to do is to save somebody's life. Instead, Lila Morris beat her three to four times where she's now bloodied, her nose is bloody, blood's coming out of her ears. I mean, you just watch the video, you're just horrified at what you just witnessed. And instead of the police helping, you have patriots that are stepping up to help that are now sitting behind bars. So I'm very thankful that Tommy got it on the record that he did witness a murder that day. Yeah, and of course, that's the first time we've actually heard that in any of the J6 trials, and I think that probably probably shocked the judge uh, Bosberg more than uh, than anything else. Uh, but back to Colt, your your husband, uh, who has uh, now been, uh, I think he's in Central uh, uh, Virginia, if I'm not mistaken. He was at the D.C. Uh, Gitmo at one point, right? He's actually back there. Yes, so he oh, he's was back in there now. Yep. So he's in uh, D.C. again. He has been in six different facilities. He's been moved seven times. That is just. And why do they do that? Why do they keep moving him? Is that is that to uh, intimidate and harass the uh, the prisoners, or is it to make it difficult for the families to stay in touch with them? Why do you think they're doing that? 
all the above. Every time he gets moved, we have to start over again with commissary money, um, clothing him. I mean, all they give him is a jumpsuit. So we have to buy all the undergarments, the socks, the shoes, every, every hygiene item, everything. So every time he's moved, it costs us a couple of hundred dollars while our other money is tied up in another system. So we've had to go through this seven different times now. But if you look up on Google diesel therapy, that is a form of punishment in the U.S. And there's been up to five days where we had no idea where he was or if he was even okay. Yeah, that is clearly uh, a violation of the Constitution. But uh, one of these days, we'll find members of Congress who are actually interested uh, in uh, in these cases. I, I do know that I just want to get this up front that uh, you have a give, send, go uh, account so that people, if they want to contribute uh, to the Legal Defense Fund and to whatever else your needs are. And, and what is that uh, give, send, go again, uh, Sarah? A give, send, go backslash Maccabee. Okay, give, send, go, backslash, Maccabee. And that's M-A-C-A-B-E-E? M-C-A-B-E-E. M-C-A-B-E-E. All right, Maccabee. Yes. Um, okay. Um, so in in looking at the video that I, that I saw uh, of your husband with Roseanne Boylan, uh, clearly he's trying to come to her assistance. This woman is struggling. She's hanging on for dear life. And your husband has training as a sheriff's deputy for seven years, I, I, I believe, in Tennessee. Um, and, and again, not only did he come to her aid, but he came to the aid of another Capitol Hill officer who also was pushed or fell down. And so on two separate occasions, we see your husband uh, not striking, not assaulting, not vandalizing or anything, coming to the aid of his fellow human beings. And I think this video completely exonerates your husband. Uh, why is it do you think the judge refuses to look at the video and uh, consider it as evidence uh, in in Colt's case? I personally believe it's because it goes against the narrative of what they painted him to be before they even knew who he was. There was a clip of him on MSNBC painting him to be this monster that was attacking police officers. They never played the audio. They didn't play the audio in the bond hearing in front of Emmett Sullivan. He said he was going to go into his chambers and listen to it, but I don't believe that he did. And he took the government's narration. When you watch it without the audio, there's so much chaos going on. You have no idea what's happening. You can make up any story in your mind of what they're saying. But as soon as you turn on the audio and he's begging these police officers that he is trying to help them, a pl two police officers acknowledge that he's trying to help. This man shouldn't be sitting behind bars, that's for sure. No, that's absolutely, um, absolutely right. But yet, uh, you know, again, not till uh, September 23rd. Is he going to be tried in D.C., I'm assuming? Yes, and it's a 97% conviction rate right now for the people in D.C. Yeah, well, it's also a, a, almost a 99%, you know, uh, town that votes for, uh, yeah. votes Democrat, votes Biden, et cetera. So this is, uh, and this, this prosecutor, Matthew Graves, um, again, his name is now coming up in some of the, uh, the Biden bribery scandals. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit about the, the footage, the video footage that is starting to come out now. Um, I know Tucker was the first to get a hold of the footage. He uh, was able to get some of it out before uh, he got canned uh, over at Fox News. And now they've released some of the uh, footage to Julie Kelly, who I respect greatly. I think she does a great job following uh, the J6ers uh, and John Solomon. Has any of this footage, have, have you been given access to it or any of the defense uh, attorneys for the uh, J6ers? 
I know that if we went to the Capitol and we had a staffer go with us, either um, the defense team or family members, we are allowed to view it, but we have to go to the Capitol to view it. My personal belief, and this was brought up in the hearing on the 13th, is that if they would release this to the general public, instead of picking and choosing which journalists they want to give it to, they don't want to because of fear of them arresting more people. However, in my personal opinion, if they would release it all, it would show that January 6th was a setup and there would be no need to arrest anybody else. In fact, it would exonerate the people that are currently sitting behind bars and that have already been tried because you're going to see the pretense leading up to it. They only want to focus on 10 minutes of video, but they won't look at the 10 minutes before that and say, why are these people reacting the way that they're reacting? They don't want to see the cause of it. They only want to see the effect of it. And what they should do is what Congress should do is go over to the D.C. jail and meet with these individuals and say, hey, what was your experience that day? Or bring them to the Capitol and put them under oath in front of a hearing. That's all they've ever asked for. I've never heard of any January 6th defendant asking for a pardon. They want to be, they want their day in court and they want it to be in front of a jury of their peers. Never in history has a defendant said, release all the video. They usually want to hide things. But in these January 6th cases, they've been screaming from the beginning that it was a government setup and there was agitators on the ground. But they want to hide that video evidence. They need to go talk to these people who are experts sitting behind bars for two and a half years with nothing else to do. They need to go speak to them individually and truly find out what happened that day from firsthand experience. Yeah, not only the agitators that were on the ground, uh, there were FBI operatives, there were D.C. Uh, Metro cop uh, uh, operatives. Uh, we uh, we know uh, that uh, Q Shaman, uh, they, uh, they basically turned him into this uh, wild uh, figure, and he was calmly walking through, as we saw in Tucker's video. I, I think that one of the most interesting pieces of video that I've seen uh, is uh, Nancy Pelosi uh, and her daughter, uh, as they're filming uh, a documentary, she's calmly walking out of the Capitol uh, when we were expected to believe their lives were being threatened and uh, they had to flee uh, for the, for their own personal safety. Uh, that video completely contradicts that narrative, I believe. It's just interesting in itself. Why would you have film crews there that day? Why would your children be there that day? If you knew leading up to it, what it was supposed to be, and you denied the National Guard, and you said don't bring in anybody else, yet you knew what was going to happen that day. You wanted the footage to go sell it to make a documentary on. To me, that's unacceptable. You are in charge of the, the health and safety of every single person in the Capitol that day, but they took this coup, and I believe they truly wanted it to be worse than what it was, so they could turn around and say, this is what the Patriots did to this country. Um, is my understanding that that uh, you and Colt were raided in August of, of 2021? If you could uh, describe how that went down. Yeah, so I actually wasn't home. I got a call that morning. I was traveling for work and I didn't answer it because I didn't know the phone number. It was a Florida number. They called back. They didn't leave a message. They called back immediately. I answered it the second time and they said, this is so-and-so with the FBI. We just apprehended your husband and we're going to raid your house. Is there anybody in there? You know, I said, no, I just had two dogs in there. And it was kind of honestly this outer body experience of, I was trying to comprehend everything they were saying on the phone, but at the same time, I was scared to death. I didn't know what was going to happen. So I ended up packing up and leaving that day and came home that night. They were in here for about five hours. Um, they took 14 items, including our front porch flag. 
and um, I hadn't seen my Your husband. Front porch from- flag is it an American flag or a Gadsden yeah. flag? What flag did yeah. you have? Amer- an American flag. They took off the front porch. Um, they also took his clothes that he wore that day. Um, I can't remember all of all of the fourteen items, but I had my cameras on for about an hour and a half of them searching the house. And then they found the cameras and covered them up. But when I came home, my house was a disaster. And from August 13th, that's the day that I left for work to um, the beginning of April of 2023, it was 597 days before I was able to see Colt. And that was behind glass for 30 minutes. That is just, um, and, and you would think there'd be more members of Congress that would be outraged. I understand your Congressman is uh, Scott Desjardins. Uh, in uh, in Tennessee, has he been any assistance to you at all? Um, I've met with him one time in D.C., and him and his staff were well aware of the atrocities surrounding my husband's case, but they've never gone to see him. There's never been anything personally done to try and help us. And as you know, for you, as just watching the video evidence and anybody we ask that has an open mind to say, hey, watch this video evidence through and through. Not, not one side or the other, an unbiased opinion. Every single person comes back and says, what is this man doing behind bars? Yeah, you don't even have representatives that stand up. They'll go on podcasts and talk about him and talk about him in the media, but they're doing nothing to help us. Now, there's only a handful of um, you know, Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene and uh, Louis Gohmert, Paul Gosar, uh, just, just Lauren Boebert, just, just to name a few. I did see your testimony at the field hearing uh, recently with Congressman Gates and uh, people like Jeff Clark and Ed Martin, who I know, and uh, and, and many others. And um, I thought you guys did a wonderful job. But, uh, I mean, even getting to that point, uh, I think, was was uh, pulling teeth. Um, do you sense there's momentum here on, on part of the J6ers, or are you still fighting an uphill battle? Um, I think there's, I do feel like the tide is turning when you say January 6th. Now people aren't scared and don't want to say anything because when this all first happened, you said January 6th and you didn't know if your family was going to turn on you. You didn't know if your friends were going to turn on you. Now you can have an open dialogue with most people about it. I mean, you still have the the 10% on the very far left side that want nothing to do with it that won't even talk to you about it. But I do believe that the tide is starting to turn with the general public. However, we are still fighting an uphill battle because for two and a half years, anything you saw on TV about January 6th was it was this terrible insurrection. They picked and choose the videos that they wanted to show. I mean, even on Fox News, there was a commercial um, about the Accountability Act with uh, Trump saying he was going to give them pardons. And my husband's video was played in one section of it. Yet he's innocent on the charges, but they, they don't want to look at that. They just cherry pick what they want. But I do believe with with awareness being brought about with these hearings, with doing interviews with people like you in the media, people are starting to realize it doesn't matter what aisle you sit in. When you have people that have been incarcerated for almost 900 days without a trial, without able to see their families, you know, being denied legal visits, there's, it's just across the board injustice. It doesn't matter where you sit. It is wrong. Are you able to speak to Colt on a regular basis? Yes, I usually talk to him at least once a day for 15 minutes. Okay. Well, that's a, at least that's better than nothing, but it's still absolutely be. He is a law enforcement officer. I think he's a he's a patriot. I think uh, he was uh, he was there that day. But why did he go that day? What was his motivation? Was his motivation to see Trump? Was it 
uh, to argue that the certification should be delayed? What was his motivation? Um, honestly, I personally, I didn't even know about the certification. I'm not into history that much. I'm sure he did know he, he loves history, but he had never been to a Trump rally before. And he knew that this was going to be the last time that he was going to be able to see him. He did have a former friend that invited him to go. Um, and as you know, in a marriage, you pick and choose your battles. I personally didn't want him to go because he was in a car accident nine days prior to that and wasn't in any type of shape to, and I've been to a Trump rally before. I know you're standing for a really long time. You're squeezed sometimes with people. So that's just my motive for not wanting him to go. But, you know, in a marriage, you pick and choose your battles. And so I, I was like, you can go and, you know, just keep me updated. I hope you're safe, you know, things like that. But then we come to find out that the guy that he went with um, was arrested two weeks prior to him but then was, was let out. And so we truly believe, and we'll know in September when we go to trial, we truly believe that the government gave him immunity to testify against my husband because there are a lot of similar cases like that where these people ask them to go, pay for the entire trip, and then they turn against them. So I don't have confirmation that I'm 99.9% sure, but we will know in September when he has to take the stand. Yeah, we, we've heard other similar stories uh, like that. Uh, you know, where they, uh, you know, they, they try to make examples out of people like your husband, I think, uh, more so because he, uh, he is law enforcement. Absolutely. Uh, so they want to put a chilling effect on, on everybody else. Um, do you know, or, or can you share, uh, whether he's going to go with the jury or with the judge at his trial? Right now we're set for a jury trial. You are set for a jury trial. All right. Yes. Well, um, again, all you have to do is, can, can you get that video entered in as evidence? Is there any possible way that is going to happen? So that's our goal, right? Any video evidence that they use against him has Roseanne in it. So that's our ultimate goal is to get it and put it on the record. But I have heard and seen in other cases where they don't allow certain evidence in, and they don't even let, let the uh, uh, defense present witnesses, you know, because we want to call the three officers that he had interaction that day, two of them that thanked him. We want to call them to the stand and have them testify about what is going on in these videos. Well, our thoughts and prayers are, are with you and your husband, Colt. Um, you know, as you come up on September, I'm sure can't get here, you know, quick enough yeah. uh, for you both. And, um, you know, again, in, as you point out in any marriage, it is it is refreshing to see that uh, his spouse is standing by his side and, and fighting uh, tooth and nail, because I know you've done a ton of interviews and, yeah. And trying to shed light on, on what's happening to Cold and the other J6ers. Uh, so, uh, again, I'm sure he's very appreciative of that. Um, again, that Give, Send, Go uh, is uh, Give, Send, Go uh, backslash Maccabee, correct? Yes, correct. All right. So we urge um, our listeners uh, to go there. If you can, uh, contribute, uh, do whatever you can to help the J6ers because they certainly um, are in need of it. And I think they've been uh, unjustly accused in many cases. And this is not America. This isn't the America that, that we grew up in. And uh, we find ourselves in a, I believe, a post-constitutional era, Sarah. And I think yeah. this is uh, this is the hill to die on, you know, to make it sure absolutely that, is. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. We'll keep you in our thoughts and prayers and we'll touch back with you uh, here as we get closer to trial. Okay. Thank you so much.
And welcome back to the Sean Casey Show, a podcast for Patriots. Uh, the the one question that I get asked does not matter uh, whatever poll we talk about, Trump or DeSantis or any of the other primaries, uh, especially on the GOP side. The, the consistent question that comes back is none of it's going to matter unless, of course, uh, we fix, not rig, fix the election process. Uh, joining us now on the podcast is Jay Valentine. Jay led the team that built the eBay fraud detection engine and the TSA no-fly list. Uh, Jay's team built the world's largest election database with fractal technology and developed the undeliverable ballot database. And he's joining us now. Very busy schedule. Jay, thanks for joining us here on the podcast today. Yeah, nice meeting you, Sean. Yeah. Um, so first, just a few definitions, uh, because you recently wrote a piece regarding, uh, you know, relational databases and fractal technology. Can you explain to our listeners and our viewers the differences? Sure. Relational technology is the current technology stack that major technology forecasting groups like Gartner have pointed out is essentially going to be obsolete over the next few years. And it's being replaced by other technology stacks. And one of those is Fractal. And the difference is that in relational database, everything runs very, very slow. And the reason is you have all kinds of different layers of software. You have the database, you have middleware, you have virtualization. And because of that, every layer slows down an application by a factor of 10. So if you have seven layers, those applications are slowed by 10 to the seventh power, which is a million. And so in Fractal, we essentially build everything in a technology stack for that specific application. So we run a thousand to a million times faster than current technology. And that allows you, because you're arguing that uh, the the debate now is, you know, look, we have some people, the RNC put up a website or something, a report voter fraud. We know that is useless. Um, some are trying to argue that we should I mean, chasing ballots and harvesting ballots, trying to outdo what uh, the other side, the Democrats, have been able to do um, effectively over the last, I don't know, 30, 40 years or so. Uh, but you're arguing this should be, be done in real time, and you have the technology to do it. So uh, if you would, go through the two kinds of, um, of voter fraud they're dealing with and how fractal technology could help with both. Well, one of the things that we point out, Sean, is that there are two really big buckets for voter fraud in voter rolls. One of those buckets is called sovereign voter fraud. That is where the election commission, whether it's at the state level with the secretary of state or at the county level with the registrar, are jacking with the voter rolls to help one candidate over another. So, for instance, we know that in Wisconsin, we actually proved that the Wisconsin Voter Election Commission allowed third party leftist groups to have access to the voter rolls and to add all kinds of people. There's no way to tell if those people were legit or not. We know that in several of the Arizona counties for the Cary Lake election, the voter commission actually changed zip codes of people the week that ballots were sent out. They didn't get their ballots. Cary Lake didn't know that. Cary Lake didn't know that they added 22,000 voters just days before the election. So, that's one of the two big issues. The second, of course, is the ability for individuals, third parties, NGOs, and voter commissions to add all kinds of fake people. So you may have a, a real person at a fake address. You may have a fake person at a real address 
or you may have a real person at a real address who they know isn't going to vote. And so they're going to vote for them. That's called phantom voting. And so what we do and what we're doing now in some of the big states, and we'll be doing it in the swing states for 2024, is that we are running a real-time system where we are looking at that stuff. And we're looking at it, in some cases, several times a day, as opposed to once a month or once a year. And because of the power of fractal technology, we can do that. And we can find these problems before they happen. We can find these problems before they impact an election. We can find fake registrations before they actually get registered. So that's just a whole different way of fighting this ballot fraud problem, because the difference between what the Republicans are doing, which is ballot, ballot harvesting, and what the Democrats are doing, which is ballot harvesting and ballot manufacturing is huge. So let me see if I, I follow this and get you straight now, because I understand that you, know, you want to fix the problem before it becomes a problem, and that is removing, purging uh, voter rolls, databases, dead voters, phantom ballots, et cetera. But you said in one particular case, I think it was Arizona, uh, that they went and changed uh, 22,000 zip codes or whatever it was or, or, or names. So they changed that before the election. The election occurs, and what, what do they do, change it back after the election or after the ballot goes out? Wouldn't they be caught if a data autopsy was conducted? Well, they would, but nobody conducts data autopsies. And so what voter commissions will do is, in some cases, voter commissions will change a database. They'll vote people, so they'll take inactive voters, for instance. They'll make them active. They vote them. And two days later, they make them inactive again. And so when you look at that with conventional relational SQL technology, it looks fine because it was good on the first day. And it was good on the third day. <laughs> it was pretty bad on the second day. Well, exactly. And, and that's why that, you need if somebody, excuse me, if that, is that unusual that somebody would go in and, uh, and, and basically access that database a couple days before? Uh, maybe a day or so after, wouldn't that raise a red flag? Well, no, because what you've essentially done is you go in and you change a record, you take an action, and then you change it back. So when people go in, the vote count works because they say they had X number of ballots and those ballots got X number of votes. And so everything, they can make everything pretty much line up. So one of the things that, that they do with this is this is a ballot manufacturing apparatus. So what they do is they, they modify people's names or people's addresses, which means that when the ballots go out, they don't get delivered to those people. Now, the people don't know that because they get their mail because the post office didn't change anything. So you get your mail just fine. You just don't get your ballots. Now, most of these people probably didn't even ask for ballots. Or they'll ask for a ballot later on. It doesn't really matter because now you've got an inventory. You have manufactured a bunch of ballots that you can use at your discretion if one of the MAGA candidates starts to pull ahead. And this is happening all over the United States. So that makes sense now with 2,000 mules where uh, Zuckerbucks were used uh, to go out and, and get these mules to harvest these ballots. They're getting paid however much. I've heard $10, $25 a ballot, uh, and uh, the Republicans think they're going to out-ballot harvest the Democrats when they're basically just harvesting ballots from people that are going to vote anyway, right? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, the Republicans, you have to really, you have to live in a different reality to be a state chairman of a Republican Party and believe this nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. The, the leftists have been doing this for 40 years. So the Republican Kiwanis Club member, he's not going to go down to the apartment building in his dockers and, and wait around to see the ballots that get tossed on the floor because there's no welfare check inside. He's not doing that. But guess who is? The drug addict kid who's going to get paid $25 per ballot, going to collect 15, 20, 30 ballots. That's real money. And that guy's going to be there. And they're going to do that because they know where all these ballots are going to accumulate. The difference is that we've built the undeliverable ballot database. So what we do is we take the property real estate tax records for the county. We compare them with the voter roll. And for every address in the county, we can tell you with agonizing detail, this address cannot get any mail at all. Not a ballot, not mail. It's a vacant lot. So if you've got 12 people voting from there, uh-uh. This address can receive mail, but it cannot receive a ballot because it's a bank or a 7-Eleven. So the 26 people registered there, no go. This address is an apartment building. It can receive mail and it can receive ballots. But these 11 people at this apartment building cannot receive a ballot, although they're supposed to, according to your records, because they don't have their apartment or unit number on there, which makes them, according to your state law, ineligible. And it goes on and on and on. I mean, we get into agonizing detail on this. Sure. But the, 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 the benefit is that what we can do now is we can challenge all this stuff months, six months before an election, as opposed to trying to litigate it afterwards in litigation that we always lose. And we saw this happen in Georgia a lot. There were a lot of ballots going into vacant apartment buildings. We had out of town uh, college students coming in for the Stacey Abrams campaign. Uh, look, the, the Democrats have perfected the art of, uh, of stealing elections and uh, and the Republicans, you know, all they care about, I guess, is raising money. I don't really, it doesn't seem like they care about fixing uh, and not rigging the elections here. Um, so my next question to you, Jay, is, uh, look, you know what you're doing. Uh, your team knows what you're doing. Uh, the average Joe and Jane out here uh, that have to go in and um, and challenge with these voter commissions, with these, uh, these state registrars, et cetera, uh, that's a pretty tough order for a lot of people, especially when you're dealing with technology and everything. What would your advice be? Uh, for instance, uh, we're here in Maryland uh, for the Maryland Election Integrity Group. Uh, how do they get started and, and, and where do they go first? Well, Maryland is unique in a number of ways. One of the ways that Maryland is unique is that you have one of the best voter integrity teams in the country in Maryland. And it's led by Robin Sachs and David Morseberger. And you just got a really first rate team there. And those guys really know what they're doing. So in your state, which is as probably as blue a state as there is, right. in that in your particular state, you work with those folks and they know what to do. And you have to remember, we're data guys. We're technology guys. We're not the guys who know in this state, here's who you call. And in that state, here's how you fill out an affidavit. We don't know anything like that. What we do is we do big data. We do data across trillions of records for our corporate clients, for the election integrity groups. We run the voter rolls. We run the property tax rolls, the federal election commission rolls, and we provide data 
to some election integrity teams. But really where we're spending our time now is we're working with state legislatures and we are helping state legislatures identify just how bad their voter rolls are. And then what we're doing is creating a parallel system using fractal technology so that going forward, this stuff doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, I mean, you, you've already uncovered some incredible things uh, already. Uh, for instance, uh, um, I guess it was changing zip codes. They were changing zip codes in Arizona. Sure. They in Arizona, they changed zip codes. So what they did was a few weeks before the 2022 election, they changed the zip codes for 30,000 people. So they didn't get their ballots. And shortly thereafter, they added 22,000 new voters. Carrie Lake had no idea. And the Democrats probably knew that just fine, but, but the Republican candidates didn't. And these are people playing with voter rolls and the people who do it are election commissions and election commissioners. And it happens at the state level. It may happen at the county level, but it's happening and it's happening all over America. And it's not just happening in, in democratic states. I mean, we found it in super Republican states where in the national elections, these phantoms didn't come out to vote for president because they weren't needed. They weren't going to do anything to move the needle. But guess what? In state rep elections or mayor elections or school board elections, these guys are coming out. So yeah. it's it's happening. Yeah, it's amazing because in the last election cycle in 2020, I think you're I think Trump uh, lost by um, an aggregate of about 40,000 uh, votes in five or six swing states. And you kind of uh, drilled that down into specific counties in those states. And it really is a lot more manageable than you might think. But you have to know where the problem is and identify the problem. And in Wisconsin, you write recently in your piece that the team there was able to shut down 40% of the phantom vote in 2022. So if you are successful and are able to do this and able to get rid of 30 to 40% of uh, the election fraud as you've identified it, uh, then it's not perfect, but it's, it goes a long way to being a lot better. Well, it, it does. And one of the things we have to be really clear about is we're not getting rid of anything because everybody needs to know that voter integrity teams in every state in America, all 50 states have multiple voter integrity teams, and they're very good. And those voter integrity teams are not getting people off the voter rolls. So we have example after example after example of voter integrity teams showing up with the county judge or whomever with 10,000 signed affidavits saying this guy's a dad, this person doesn't live at this house, never has. It goes on and on and on. They're not getting those people off the voter rolls. So the issue for 2024 is you're not going to get them off in time. It's just too big. So what you want to do is you don't want to suppress anybody who's a real voter. Right. But you want to suppress fake votes. And the way you do that is you sit down with the county registrar. And this is what they did in Wisconsin using our technology. They sat down with the county registrar and they said, Mabel, here are 16,000 people in this county. And we can prove, according to the tax records and other records, that these people either don't exist or that's not the real address. And you and I both know that. And we just want you to know, if they vote, we're coming after you with a criminal complaint. and. That didn't stop it, but it cut it by 40, 45 percent. And that, in many cases, is what helps elect a U.S. senator or a congressperson, et cetera. And that's what's going to start happening. Now, over time, 
these state legislatures that we're working with, we're working with four of them now. Two days ago, we were working with two. It's already up to four. They are putting in a system that's identifying real time this kind of stuff, and they're going to start getting it off the rolls. But that's not going to happen in time for 2024. You don't have to identify which, but uh, are these Republican-controlled legislatures, or are they Democrats, or or what? The three of the four are controlled by Republicans, and one is is fifty fifty. Okay, and the in every case though. They didn't pick up the phone to call us because they really want to get clean voter rolls. They picked up the phone to call us because they have voter integrity teams in their state who are crawling all over these guys. I mean, these voter integrity teams in 2019, they didn't exist. And in 2020, after the 2020 election, these guys came out of nowhere and they're all you know, volunteer groups, or little old ladies sitting around in a prayer group, and they're guys who have been working for technology companies for 40 years. So they span the, the world in terms of their talent level. And they are really doing a terrific job out there. They just don't have the tools. Well, right. Fractal is giving them the tools they need. So now they have better tools than the government has. Um, back to Wisconsin for just a second. I do remember uh, post, you know, 2020 election, uh, there were months later, I think a, a couple of uh, sheriffs held press conferences. Uh, they were going after, I think it was nursing homes or um, assisted living centers for, for voter fraud there. Was that a result of criminal complaint? Do you know? It will. And I think it has in that particular state. So one of the things that the way that came about is that they were able to determine that there were pockets where everybody had the same phone number. And we did the query for Wisconsin that showed 23,000 people in Wisconsin all had the same phone number dating back for like 20 years. I mean, it's really bad. Yeah. And then after that, they looked into phone numbers. So, so they'd find somewhere where everybody used the same phone number and not necessarily illegal, but, but you're not supposed to do it on your voter registration. And then they found that they all got their ballot, mail-in ballot on the same day. And then they found that they all mailed their ballot back on the same day using the same phone right. number. But is it illegal to lie on a... Well, it's not illegal to do that, but but the point is you're starting to pull a string on a sweater and as things things starts to come apart. And so what they did was they looked at, well, if they all voted on the same day and they're all using the same phone number and they all got their ballot on the same day, then they went in and checked it out. And that's where they found people who were in cognitive decline that was so bad. I mean, they didn't know who their children were. They, you know, were not legally allowed to vote. Right. And, and it's a sad, sad situation. But, but now for Wisconsin and for a bunch of other states, we have the voter integrity teams creating cognitive care facility databases and putting those into our databases so we can track that stuff day one. Just out of curiosity, has anybody at the RNC or DNC contacted you regarding fractal technology? No, that'll never happen. The RNC, if you, the RNC data is data we tested. We actually got RNC data in 2022 for two big, big swing states and we looked at their data and it was preposterous. I mean, this data was like, you would think it was from a foreign country. And so what we did was in 2022, we we didn't do any election work. We did, you know, fraud type stuff. But in 2023, uh, a few people took our technology. They didn't even tell us they did it. And it's okay with us. 
But they took our technology and they used it for some canvassing for some 2023 off-year races. And they reported back and they said, last year in 2022, we used the RNC databases and they were 50% wrong. Mm. But in 23, we used the fractal databases and they were 99% correct. I mean, we didn't know that, but they are. And so right now we don't license our technology to politicians doing stuff. But right now we have three states where the U.S. Senate candidates are working with the voter integrity teams to use our databases for their canvassing. So we think that's pretty interesting. That is very interesting development, and it just got to spread like wildfire. So if there's somebody that's downloaded this uh, podcast and are interested in reaching out to you, Jay, or your team, uh, how do they go about doing that? Our website is Omega, O-M-E-G-A, four, the number four, omegaforamerica.com. We're not looking for any volunteers. We're data guys. We're not activists. So don't call me trying to volunteer because that's not what we're doing. And um, uh, if you go to our website, you can read all of the materials. And basically, the people that we're working with now are a, a couple of voter integrity teams. But for the most part, our work is with state legislatures and secretaries of state who want to do voter roll audits and then going forward, make sure this stuff doesn't creep back in their voter rolls. The best part of this whole thing is that this is fixable uh, and we just have to apply the right technology and have people willing to get out there and and do it and get in the faces of these uh, voter commissions um, and uh, in each state. So uh, Jay Valentine, thank you so much for spending time with us here today. And uh, thanks for bringing this to our attention. Nice meeting you. Thanks a lot. All right. Have a good one. All right. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate that. Uh, Great interview and great information. Now, the job is what you do with it, uh, what you're going to do in your, uh, as he said, we're here in the blue state of Maryland. We have a great group. We just have a very blue state. Uh, So, but you can do this in your state. You can call your state legislators, ask them uh, to get fractal technology to clean up their databases, et cetera. Uh, And again, do this now. Uh, we don't have time really to purge uh, the no. voter rolls. It has to be done, uh, you know, years before, like like right after the last election. And we know most states haven't done that. Uh, but there is time still to put them on notice. We are watching you and we've got the technology to catch you. And if we catch you, we're going right to the sheriff. We're not going to the media. We're not going anywhere. We're going to the sheriff and we're going to swear out a criminal complaint against your sorry butts. Hey there, don't go anywhere. You don't want to miss Sean's exclusive interview with Peachy Keenan to discuss her book, The Domestic Extremist. We are back here on the Sean Casey Show, a podcast for patriots. Joining me in this segment is Peachy Keenan. That is a pseudonym for a writer and mother living deep behind enemy lines. We joke that we're here behind in the blue state of Maryland and the blue <laughs> metro Baltimore behind enemy lines, but she's really behind enemy lines on the West Coast in California. She identifies as a husbosexual. What the heck does that mean, Peachy? <laughs> Well, since any anyone is allowed to make up their own gender orientation, sexual orientation these days, I made up my own one. And a husbosexual means that I am attracted to anyone who identifies as my husband. Okay. All right. Well, that makes sense now. Uh, the <laughs> book is uh, The Domestic Extremist. I'm holding it right here. It is an excellent read. I'll tell you why it's an excellent read. This is like a, a battle plan 
uh, for the current culture war. And uh, and the best right. part about it is uh, the chapter we are going to win. We'll get to that in just a <laughs> second here. Uh, but and I, are you a recovering liberal? That's right. And I talk about that in the book. Absolutely. I, um, you know, domestic extremists are made and not born, at least in my case. I've done a complete 180 in my life. <laughs> and I escaped, I like to say I escaped feminism by the skin of my teeth, Sean. Yeah, well, uh, you uh, get out just in time. Uh, <laughs> I the, did. Uh, uh, the, the the title domestic extremist. I mean, you could call it rabid traditionalist or yeah. family fundamentalist. Uh, how right. did you settle on domestic extremist? Well, I just thought it was funny because um, you know me and my friends we have large families. We go to mass, and people give us weird looks um, here in Los Angeles. We're kind of freaks. We, we're looked at as these extremists, you know. But I was joking that you know we're not domestic extremists. We're just extremely domestic, and so that's where I got the title. <laughs> All right, so you're going from uh, a feminist and an atheist to a mm -hmm. domesticated Catholic. That's quite That's a right. transition. Yeah, I had my own transition, <laughs> as they say, um, over time. No surgery was required. I retained all my parts, okay? Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I came a long way. I was a, I was a, a, a militant atheist, a pro-choice feminist, a liberal, and just over time, you know, the reality of life and meeting my husband and having children, um, you know, at one point I had my, our first pregnancy ended in a miscarriage. And that was the moment where he was like, I'm going to, I'm going back to the church. I'm going to become a Catholic. And I was like, okay, whatever, buddy. But then going through the process with him, I realized like, oh, wow, you know, this is something profound. I had never met anyone who was religious in my life, like right. never in my life or even met a conservative. And so just over the process of, you know, kind of uh, experiencing real life, I ended up here. It's it's a great a great story, uh, no doubt. Yeah, one of the things and I, I followed you a long time on on Twitter, oh, and I, I do think uh, the the thing that attracted me to your writing is your biting wit. Uh, <laughs> I think that conservatives can be much more effective when they put a humorous spin on something or write in a funny manner, uh, because I think it catches people's attention. I just wanted to share. Uh, one uh, piece of the book uh, with our audience today. You got to get the book. The book is is just yeah. the whole thing is just fabulous. Thank you. Uh, you write after a hundred years of fighting for the rights of biological females, mainstream feminism quit. We got ghosted. In a few short years, feminists went from worshiping the girl boss to worshiping girls with balls. Feminists stopped helping girls compete on a level playing field. Instead, they literally leveled the playing field, destroying sports for a generation of young women. The reason is simple. Feminists discovered a new kind of woman they like better. Men. Uh, so there you have it from uh, the domestic extremists. Uh, so there, there are many fronts on the culture war. Yeah. Uh, where do you think we need to start? Where, where's the first uh, pushback or fight or uh, what the first battle plan? Oh, man. Yeah, it seems like we're really getting on, on, on all sides now. I mean, they're coming for the children. They're coming for sports. They're coming for the Dodgers. You know, are all the consumer products, uh, every store you shop in, like, you know, you just feel like, oh, my gosh, I can never leave the house. Like, what do I do? Every movie. Um, <clears throat> but the reason I wrote the book is because I really feel like the only place to start is like where I started, which is figuring out a way to get out of this um 
you know, the sort of like broken lifestyle that they're offering young women, which is stay on Tinder for 10 years, never settle down, sterilize yourself, freeze your eggs, you know? So I, I think for me, that's where I would love to see people start is taking a hold of themselves, kind of withdrawing themselves from that like mindset and realizing, you know, the good things in life are these sort of old fashioned things, these simple kind of timeless, human truths that we have to sort of accept. Like, here we are, we're human beings, it's biological, like this is the way to do it. And so I hope that's what some people at least might choose to do after reading the book. Yeah, you talk about in the um, forward to the book about uh, family, <clears throat> parenthood and tradition being all triggers uh, yeah. for, for the left. And these are things that uh, we all grew up with. Uh, we all wanted that uh, to be in a big family and we uh, we respected our parents our parents weren't supposed to be our friends our parents <laughs> yeah. were supposed to be uh, somewhat right. of authorities they were supposed to protect us and keep us from harm not to uh throw keggers for us right and to affirm our every whim and our every crazy idea no the parents have to push back you know the parents are the primary authority you've got to say no <laughs> kids. I did a lot of sneaking around around my parents. If they had like affirmed everything I wanted to do, I probably wouldn't have wanted to do those things. I don't know. We're in this like crazy world where the little kids, three-year-olds are telling their mommies that they want to change their gender. And the moms are like, oh, how wonderful. He's telling me what he wants to do. No, he's three. Yeah. My toddler son thought he was Buzz Lightyear for like four years. He right. we had to call him Buzz. You know, I didn't have Space Ranger reassignment surgery. It's like, no. what are we? What are we doing? <laughs> uh, to that note, um, on Sunday, which was Father's Day, NPR um, was actually they did a piece on a biological uh, woman who was transitioning to a man, but she forgot to take uh, her hormones or whatever. And she got pregnant. And so that nice. was our Father's Day story mm -hmm. on NPR this year. <clears throat> yeah, of course. I mean, the best fathers are the, are the ones who are born female. I mean, that's who we want to elevate now as fathers and as, you know, these male role models <laughs> who are girls. And, you know, they had, they had a pregnant woman who, who thinks she's a man. I think she was on the cover of British Vogue or, you know, Glamour magazine. Uh, this month to celebrate for, for Pride Month. And uh, yeah, I mean, in any other world, this is like an idiocracy. This is absurd on its face. It's funny. It's comical. But you're not allowed to laugh. If you laugh at this and make fun of it, you know, you're just instantly beheaded. But you are allowed to mock Catholics and Christians, especially oh, yeah. if you're the Los Angeles Dodgers. Mm -hmm. So being in the Los Angeles area, tell us a little bit about that, because we all talked about it on mm -hmm. talk radio and on mm -hmm. our podcast and and how this seems to be the only group or one of the few groups, you have black conservatives and, of course, right. uh, Christians and Catholics. Uh, it's uh, all mock all the time. Yeah, where it's uh, being a being a conservative Catholic, you're the last group where it's okay to make fun of them and mock them and and really hate them. So I went, I actually went to the event on Friday night on at Pride Night at Dodger Stadium. I wrote an essay about it for the Federalist, um, called Foul Ball, and so it was like a two thousand people were there peacefully praying. Okay, people were kneeling in the hot sun on asphalt. It was completely peaceful. There was a million cops. LAPD was like totally on our side. They were saying, God bless you. They were like, people were so grateful to them. And everyone knew that the cops were not protecting the pride night attendees from us. 
they are protecting us from the Pride Night attendees. Right. We have seen transgender activists be very violent in protests and attack people for their beliefs. This was so peaceful. It was really beautiful to see. And basically everyone said the same thing. We don't hate them. You know, we don't hate these sisters, these men in, in drag, in mocking nuns. We pray for them and we hope they can like reform their, you know, pray for their souls. Right. But they hate us. Like they, you know, love is love, but they hate you and want you dead, you know? And the, the, the event itself was like nothing. It was like this very short, brief ceremony. They had it an hour before the game. The Dodgers were so cowardly. They, were, they didn't even have the, the pride event in front of the large crowd. They buried it. And there was almost no one there because they didn't want the booze and there still were booze. But it was really not the event. It's the fact that the Dodgers, despite all the outcry, despite all the pushback, decided to side with the with the, the anti-Catholic bigots. Right. Well, That's well, first the they issue. Had, they had disinvited them mm -hmm. and then they got pushback on that. So they reinvited them. Yeah. And they were getting major blowback on that. And they just said, what the hell? I mean, this is, I think the Texas Rangers were the only team that didn't have some kind of pride night You're in right. Major League Baseball. So You're we got right. a lot of work to do, don't we, Peachy? Yeah, I mean, every major league team, uh, everywhere you, you know, everywhere you look, even, you know, down to little girls sports has been taken over by this very small, but very loud kind of fringe group. And they're now running the show. I mean, they're dictating the rules to all of us. And they've kind of seeded all these big corporations, marketing departments, you know, with their acolytes, with their kind of very woke, usually, you know, female, young female marketing executives. And they're just like taking, you know, lighter fluid and like burning these incredible reputations, all this goodwill, you know, Disney, the Dodgers, family-friendly, wholesome reputations. They're just they're just immolating themselves. It's really it's surprising and it's really sad. I mean, honestly, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. I always had this, you know, sort of um suspicion about Disney from the get-go, because they always seem to kill off parents uh in uh, a lot of their <laughs> animated films. And I you know, even when I was younger, I was like, Well, there goes another one. I mean, am mm -hmm. I missing something here? <laughs> um so you were writing under this pseudonym for for quite yeah. some time. Mm -hmm. Uh you wrote for big corporations and mm -hmm. a darn good writer, so kudos Thank to you. you on that. Thank you. Uh why did why did you quote unquote come out? And I know you're not giving your name, but right. your face is allowed to be seen now. So why did you decide to, to come out and be public about it? Well, it is it is Pride Month. You know, everyone else is coming out. Um no. <laughs> I I was not going to I got the book deal and they were like, Well are you ever going to reveal yourself? And I was like, I don't know. I, I like being anonymous. Like it's very safe. I live in LA, so I don't want people to know I don't want my neighbors you don't want to be swatted yeah uh, i don't they're living next to this extremist dangerous person um but basically i got inv invited before tucker carlson's show got canceled on fox they had invited me to come on the night of my book launch and I, i'm a huge tucker fan so i was right. like okay okay I, you know i'll do it for tucker and then like right after that um his show got canceled but they kept the appointment so i just thought well i'll just go for it you know and so it was scary. It was definitely nerve wracking. But so far, the response, I mean, I'm still alive. My yeah. house hasn't been burned down. So fingers crossed. <laughs> well, you know, again, yeah, just we'll, we'll hope and pray for you. Because, <laughs> Thank you. you. Know, our, our good buddy, Andy Breitbart. I mean, you know, who knows? We still don't right. know what happened to him. But, you know, it's a. Uh, Look, uh, right. you're, you're a brave woman, and uh, you know, we, we thank you for, for writing this book. So before we go, I, I did. Uh, I always like to leave on a positive note. So, uh, you know, you, you write a lot about what's going on uh, in the, you know, we need to get make men great again. We need 
uh, to reward parents and, and women have to feel comfortable in their own skin, raising three, four or more children in the family, get back to God, back to faith. But how are we going to win this thing? This has taken decades in this culture war, starting about the counterculture of the, of the mid sixties. Mm-hmm. How do we win this thing? How do we turn it around? Well, the good news is I think finally the kind of like counter revolution has begun. And that's largely to thank the left. I mean, I thank the sisters. Like they're so outrageous. They're so over the line that people can't help but say no to that and say, you know what? No, like we're done. And so the more they expose themselves, like expose, no pun intended, the more Dylan Mulvaney, you know, prances around in his little leotards or whatever, the more people are like, no, like, Mm-mm, not doing it. And so I, I think that that is how we start to win by letting, you know, let them expose who they are, what they believe, what they want to do with your kids. I just see video after video of like school, school teachers saying how they're going to secretly in- indoctrinate the kids to become trans, you know, yes. Like, please tell us all your plans. <laughs> you know, they're, we're catching them monologuing, you know, they're going down. Yeah. Well, that was the beauty of uh, the remote learning uh, because yeah. parents for the first time got a really uh, inside peek of what was going on in oh, our no. schools. Right. Is, it, is it just the very definition of insanity, Peachy, that uh, you were involved in the feminist movement at one point and it was all about em- empowering uh, you know, the girl boss and, and uh, lifting that, uh, that's, that ceiling, that glass ceiling, uh, and now we find that they're not really speaking out against men posing as women? Yeah, I mean, feminism has completely dropped the ball. Uh, they, you know, they they started pardon off with the, pardon, the <laughs> pardon my was it the pun. <laughs> they started off with good intentions. You know, women could get jobs and work and not have to you know resort to prostitution to feed their family. Okay, fine. Uh, but now, yeah, they've totally forsaken women. Women don't matter. Girls don't matter. They want you to be able to to have to shower with a male, your your twelve year old daughter, and not if you complain about it you're in trouble with the feminists now. And so I think that they've just been kind of the whole, the whole movement is a, is a fraud at this point. Now, and we had, just, um, the governor of Maryland, uh, newly elected, his name is Wes Moore. He's like mm-hmm. the uh, Obama 2.0. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. he, he, he said on a TV interview with Jen Psaki on MSNBC the other day that not exposing your children to this CRT curriculum, to this pride curriculum, to uh, the kinds of things we're talking about here, transitioning, et cetera, is tantamount to castrating them. That's actually a quote from Governor Moore. Your, your reaction to that? Uh, it sounds like he's been mentally castrated. I mean, to be honest, like <laughs> these people are, are brain dead. Uh, they're the walking dead. I mean, look here in California, they're passing bills. There's like a new one every week coming out of Sacramento. If you don't immediately gender affirm your toddler, you get accused of child, child abuse. You're going to jail. They're going to take your kid to a foster home where they can properly medicate them and cut their, you know, pieces of them off. Um, so, I mean, we have to, we have to say no, like you just have to say no, because that's where we're headed. If we don't kind of join forces, that's why the Dodger event was so great. I mean, there is a lot of strength in our numbers. We have to remember that you're you're not alone. 
there were hardly any people in the stands during the uh, when they were being honored as heroes. Really, mm -hmm. heroes. I know That's a lot right. of people that would qualify, and uh, they're they're not one. Uh, the book is uh, the domestic extremist Peachy Keenan. Uh, it is well worth the read. As I say, it is a field manual uh, for the battle against the uh, the culture wars here. Uh, Peachy, thanks so much for joining us, and the best of luck to you on the book as well. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Okay, we are back, and I hope you enjoyed that interview with uh, Peachy Keenan, uh, the domestic terrorist, all the way from the uh, the left coast, uh, yep. where she's really truly trapped behind enemy lines. Uh, and not yeah, the it truth. was uh, really really enjoyable. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We hope you enjoyed this edition of The Sean Casey Show, a podcast for patriots. We wish Sean and his family a safe and happy vacation. Don't forget, our next podcast on the CCP will drop on Thursday. Remember, fight hard and stay free. Yeah.